think is a, a source of excitement for many, given uh, how the league seasons are going in a lot of leagues this year, teams running away with the titles, um, again, particularly in, in England. Um, but I suppose the one big narrative tonight, if you're not a Liverpool fan, is, um, is Barca PSG. And I thought uh, it might be a good opportunity to chat uh, on Lionel Messi. And this uh, Barca PSG, whenever it was, was it 2017? Um, the game that made Messi famous to degree is that famous photo of him celebrating. And kind of hard to imagine back then that we'd be having a discussion now around Messi actually leaving Barcelona. Um, you know, his kind of his name is synonymous with the club. Um, but the the obvious point to talk about, I think, was around the issue of, of his contract and his leave contract. There were crazy sums that were reported. Um None of which I've seen have been denied or anything. I think they're, they're probably um, relatively close to the truth. Um, but yeah, the, the, the figures, in case anyone missed them, um, the, the total amounts of the four-year contract, uh, including bonuses and image rights, we'll, we'll get in, into that in a, in a sec, is €555,237,619. Euros, uh, the equivalent, uh, according to Off the Pit, the equivalent of 2.95 million euros a game uh, or about three and a half million euros for each goal he scored reportedly earned around 500 million of that already um put put that into a bit of context dan and by the way welcome any any questions on this because it's uh, i think a lot of us are, i guess trying to compute the size of this deal both from a kind of contractual point of view but also from the point of view of like how a club could even afford this but yeah dan put into some context what that deal is and and how it all falls together <laughs> to be fair um i was as fascinated with it by you as um as that number and and one of the things that we've talked about previously and also um i write about in the book is i know that the figures are interesting and we can talk mm -hmm. about that briefly as well but what i think is even um more fascinating is actually um the tactics of the leak um, and I know it's, and I don't, well, I don't mean it to be sensationalist is the truth, but um, somebody has leaked that to um, the, the Spanish newspapers um, for a particular reason. Um, it's, I guess, pretty unlikely, though who knows whether it's Messi's camp, um, mm. because why would you effectively disclose the, the, the eye-watering salaries, uh, salary? Um, it might be around actually not needing the same type of money, obviously, in going on a free to a, um, another um, competitor club. And we'll talk about that briefly. Mm -hmm. But um, I find it interesting that, um, you know, it was leaked at a particular period of time. Maybe bridges are so badly burned by the sounds of it between club and Messi that um, that this is either, a um, you know, something which is seen as vengeful or otherwise. But yeah, who knows? But the 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 overarching point is the sums are just eye-watering the the other bit that i was interested in as well was that it looked like out, out of the 550 million half a billion euros which are for four-year <laughs> deal is pretty um substantive was that over um 270 million euros would be going to the tax authorities yeah. um uh, which is obviously a, um, a huge amount as well, bearing in mind some of the tax issues that some Spanish play some players based in Spain have had 
um, over the years. But I think, yeah, you look at some of those um, sums and they, they were significant for, for lots of reasons. Um, the, the bit that I found um, is fascinating, I'm just pulling up the, 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 some of the detail, was um, signing on loyalty, re, they call it renewal bonus, I think was what yeah. um, some were calling it. Um, and some of those fees, so there was a renewal fee of um, almost over 11 million euros and loyalty bonuses approaching almost 80, 80 million euros. Um, over a period of time. Now, in the UK context, in the Premier League context, what actually happens is those um, bonuses can be paid and are, from a regulatory perspective, have to be paid over the length of the, the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and effectively, under the regulations, there are clauses which state that if you ask for a transfer, um, uh, you, you put in a transfer request, which is pretty rare these days, and um, that you effectively forfeit to the to a degree those um, amounts if you're going to be if you're going to be moving on. That's why transfer requests are relatively rare these days for one of those reasons. Um, but I just found it um, you know fascinating. You know, usually the way that signing on fees and loyalty bonuses happen is you there for two particular reasons. One is to tie the player in to particular windows and particular future possibilities to earn significant amounts. We talked about Dimitri Payet, I remember a while back where he was uh, potentially going to move to was it Marseille from West Ham, I think a little bit ago. Um, he didn't move because supposedly there was a big loyalty bonus that was due in the week or so after the window had closed. And that's the same logic that usually applies to loyalty bonuses and signing on fees, which is they're usually done to incentivize the player to stay um, past a particular window. So there's a big opportunity cost. The other thing that's also worth bearing in mind, which I think is obviously very important in this context too, maybe not as much for Messi because he is such an outlier um, and has such a wage outlier compared to almost any other player in world football out of out of thought. Um, you, you keep people and players in those different bands accordingly. And by keeping them in the bands, almost those extra bonuses, whatever they might be, um, are usually external bonuses to the actual core, how much are you earning at each week? How much is your bonus each week? How much is particular things? So there's loads of those stepped amounts, salary, performance bonus, loyalty bonus, signing on fee, tax bonus, other types of things that they're called, therefore can, can um, you know, ratchet up um, step by step, bit by bit. Yeah, you might have just broken up a little bit for me there. Uh, sorry. The point around yeah, being able to not break the bands that clubs have. I think they're they're pretty stringent about that, or, or good clubs certainly are um, around not wanting, because the, the obvious implication of not having banded um, kind of salary brackets, so you end up with essentially wage inflation within your club because everyone wants to kind of bump up their, their pay by by 10%. So um, yeah, I, I suppose the, the, the flip side is that you're dealing with quite lumpy payments then as a club, um, but uh, clearly Barcelona, needed to kind of incentivize Messi to stay. Exactly. And the other bit that also shouldn't be um, uh, forgotten is, you know, everyone says that football has a bit of a transparency problem. Well, it, it does to a degree. I mean, you look at American sports, for example, where everyone pretty much knows every, what everyone's on um, is the truth. The the um, asymmetric um, uh, sort of characteristic of um, European sports and European football in particular 
allows clubs to effectively price discriminate um, if yeah. that's the right way of putting it is that nobody knows what the other is on so there is always a sense of wizardry or financial chicanery to a degree to almost justify to a player's agent or a player you're in this bracket you're in this bracket for this you've got this bonus for this we'll add this on in top we'll provide you this benefit whatever else it might be so not having that transparency um, allows for these different ratchet bonuses to a degree um, but the other point obviously worthwhile I'm making is that when you when you have a transparent symmetrical system where everybody knows everything, you actually get into uh, sometimes easier and more difficult um, negotiations, obviously, because I know, again, Messi's, Messi's the outlier. But for most, if everybody knows what everyone is earning and everyone knows everything, um, then, uh, and it might be for a conversation for another day, then it makes an agent's job sometimes more difficult and make more straightforward in effect you, to your player this is what you're earning this is what the people around you are earning take it or leave it or the club don't value as highly as these particular players so what should we do yeah there's a question from joseph richmond which i'll get onto in a sec which is around how the club can afford it and i think part of the challenge is maybe, maybe they can't I, I wanted to ask though on you know it's obviously an enormous loyalty and signing um fees there uh, there'll be a lot of kind of cynical people who think, why do you need a bonus for being loyal? I mean, surely that's kind of a uh, a counterintuitive, um, you know, approach to it. What a a would you agree with that? And b, you know, do you see do you see things changing in the way? Or, you know, what are some of the changes that we are seeing within clubs uh, players' contracts in order for clubs to kind of incentivize their players to stay at the club or, or to earn more at their club? Yeah, I mean, th there's always a debate around bonuses generally, is the truth. The, the Harry Redknapp one that I always love is the, the Jermaine Defoe Redknapp discussion about um, Redknapp agreeing a fee with Defoe, I think, when he was at, going to go to Portsmouth. Mm. And then his agent wanted a goal bonus. And Harry Redknapp retorted, well, we're, but we're paying him to score goals. <laughs> so you're not getting a goal bonus because that's specifically what you're getting your wage for. Yeah. Which I actually quite liked the simplification of it, really, which is um at some point the the incentive and we've talked about this before the incentives are changing from individual incentives to team incentives as, yeah. as things go which is fewer goal and assist bonuses and more playing and winning and drawing bonuses and or progression bonuses qualify for the champions league win the league um avoid relegation and if you've contributed to that, you are going to be paid more um, as a result. Um, and that's the same type of thing when clubs are trying to um, buy players is that they may market things as um, this is your likely take home pay every month or every year because we think you're going to be a first team starter. We think we're going to win this amount of games when in effect, actually what is happening is that the, perhaps your, your guaranteed wages smaller but your flex wage your flex bonus is actually very high and if the assumptions are correct then here you go this is the money that you're going to make um and you know it's been an historical um fait accompli that um, loyalty bonuses and signing on fees um happen sometimes it's because they're so large that um to a degree clubs prefer and have historically preferred to try and stagger them just in the Messi case because if I remember correctly I think what happened with one of Messi's very big bonuses 
is that he actually deferred part of the bonus mm. so that actually I believe that his last signing on fee bonus has actually only been paid relatively recently based on his previous contract potentially. Um, so I, 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 you know, I think it's an historical quirk um, and it also detracts a little bit from what players are going to be paid on a basic week by week basis. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. I, I think, Clubs are gonna, as you're absolutely right on the on the kind of team element. I think um, clubs are realizing that you know individual bonuses are uh, may draw out the wrong incentives on on players, and, and therefore they might want to kind of um, yeah focus on a much, much more team approach. But it's it's not easy because then you're you know I've heard about difficult negotiations that clubs have had with the club captain for around bonuses for progressing in the cups and so on and the club might argue well we don't, we don't get much money for the cups so you know why should why should we pay out for that and i think you know you, you're potentially moving from one problem to another but certainly centralizing it probably makes it a little bit easier for, for and then just very briefly before if you don't mind I'll, I'll i'll ask you a couple of questions as well and maybe we can get to some of the questions too which is the, the important thing about some bonus as well exactly as you touched on which is um you know clubs will get certain bonuses let's just say you know, Champions League progression into the group stages is worth 16, 17 million euros to clubs. And then every win is worth 2.7 and qualification for the next round 16 is, as we know, is worth around 9, 10 million euros. In effect, what the clubs have to do um, a quite detailed forensic financial model and modeling, because you don't want to keep paying players bonuses that ultimately make it uneconomical for you to for clubs to progress into later rounds of competitions and to win things for example too it's almost like fine the club's making 16 million as a starting point for getting into the group stages but you don't want to have to be paying out 20 million um to the players for getting there in the first place so yeah. i know that's something that you obviously um uh, might have some thoughts on and and the way that that's been done poorly in the past i know is barcelona for example is that um in some years when they did extremely well they were paying out more in bonuses than they were actually earning in terms of performance revenues which is obviously yeah. not the not the right way to do things yeah it's um yeah it's, it's a balancing act and that's Part of the issue if you've got multiple contracts, thing trying to trying to manage manage all that. It'd be interesting to see what what English clubs do. Um, the Europa Conference League starting next year, which you know the Europa League already isn't a huge. It, it can be to a club. I think they can. You know, if a club wins it, it's around sixty million in, in revenues. So it's not certainly not to be sniffed at. But the Europa Conference League for a majority of teams isn't going to be particularly financially attractive. But on the other hand, you you know it could be an opportunity for. West Ham, Villa, clubs like that to, to play in Europe, which which you know as a as a player is, is interesting. So yeah, perhaps, perhaps one for another time, but but that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um but but on the on the affordability point, um, which is kind of gets to Joseph's question around how Barcelona can afford it. I think I think the bigger context to think about here is that obviously you if you go back to when Messi first broke through at Barcelona, it was a very different landscape in in world football. Um you didn't have um, you didn't have Man City um, being owned by, um, you know, the Abu Dhabi uh, group. You didn't have the Qatari ownership of um, of PSG. Um, and so Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man United, Bayern Munich were the richest clubs in the world and were able to, you know, be be kind of sustainable as, as the, the richest clubs in the world. But as soon as these other clubs came to the market, and to a lesser degree, Chelsea, um, who obviously... 
inflated the market in 2003, but probably less, slightly less so um, in the last 10 years. Um, you know, the, the likes of Barcelona have had to keep up and pay, you know, a lot of big salaries to, to retain their players. And I think that's the that's the issue that they've now faced. I mean, reportedly over a billion euros in debt now, Barcelona um, have made fairly questionable transfers. I think it's fair to say um, on, you know, the, the talent they've recruited. I mean, the, there was some reports this week around some of the way that the negotiations on Usman Dembele went, where they massively overpaid, um, you know, almost as a kind of instinct as opposed to kind of considering the decision and, and very difficult, particularly at this level of football where um, clubs are locking themselves into four or five-year deals with players. Really difficult to shift with no no other buyers for these players. You know, if, you, if you're going much lower down the market, if you're a championship club that's spending a lot more than, you know, what the market might dictate on a player, you can normally find an exit market because either their contract will expire sooner or they'll be, you know, somewhere else in, in world football or their home country or whatever that will take them. But the amount of buyers that there are for Barcelona's players is is so small. Um, it's, it's a real challenge. Um, and so the it, clearly Barcelona are struggling to afford him. I think the the bigger picture or question is to what extent other clubs might uh, might be able to, to afford him. Um, got a question in from Jaime um, who's asking, what is Messi's freedom to sign a commercial agreement with the third brand not related to Barcelona? Will he have access to 100% of those earnings or maybe share it with um, with Barcelona? Which I think is an interesting question because that could be, I could further top up that that salary. It's a great one. Um, and maybe we can we can maybe do an image rights um, session mm-hmm. at some point. Um, the short answer is, is that Messi is likely to have an image rights agreement between his image rights company and Barcelona. Um, that will likely Barcelona be paying his image rights company a certain amount of money to exploit his image. Um, but along with that comes with certain prohibitions, i.e. that um, especially Messi, but possibly others, other uh, core players, cannot enter into commercial endorsements with um, competing partners of Barcelona. And that, in effect, has a quite substantive value for Barcelona and for the Barcelona brands who then can ensure that when they are, I guess, entering into partnership agreements with those play- with that club, that those players can be used um, more or less in a conflict, um, in, a, in a brand conflict-free um, environment. So there will likely be significant um, restrictions on who Messi um, can um, endorse outside of um, uh, the Barcelona um, obligations. Um, and even more so, um, it might well be that Barcelona take a proportion of that commercial income. I've seen certain deals over the years where um, that is the case simply because moving to a particular club is so um, valuable for a player's image and um, and otherwise that actually the, the value that then is attached to the player's rights and exploitation rights increases um, as such. Yeah, it'll be, I think it's definitely worth another discussion on, on image rights. I'm kind of fascinated as well by the dynamics of, you know, Messi being a Adidas player, uh, Barcelona being a night um, team, Argentina being Adidas, Ronaldo historically. The opposite, yeah. It's, um, it is, it's, it's really interesting. On the commercial point, though, that, I think that was one of the points I was kind of interested in digging into on um the, the play, as it were, for a club that's interested in in Messi, um, because the, argue, the the kind of very kind of superficial, facile argument would be, 
Man City or PSG, they sign Messi and they get a massive boost in commercial revenue and, and therefore you can afford to pay him 130, 140, 150 million euros um, a year. I think the reality of that, well, it, it's just not the case. So you think about the way that clubs can, can grow their revenue. Um, firstly, uh, performance, so, so winning more matches and, and finishing higher in the league table. Most of these clubs are already finishing towards the top of their league tables and, and reaching the last stages of, of the Champions League, so they can't they can't actually earn that much more revenue from signing a Messi. Signing Messi, so Messi, the replacement player below Messi actually isn't that much worse than Messi at the moment. So you can't really justify 130 million on that. Obviously, match day revenue. There's no way you'd be able to increase your match day revenue by 130 million euros a year. There's just not, um, you know. There's no way you could be able to charge tickets for that or sell hospitality or whatever. Um, and then so people think about the commercial income, like to what extent can you sign commercial deals that, that increase um, that are much bigger in value because you've got, you've got a global superstar like Messi. And the best benchmark we've got of that is um, is Ronaldo going to Juve. Uh, and they did sign a big new deal with, with Nike after Ronaldo signed. Um, but it wasn't, um, it certainly wasn't in the region of whatever transfer fee they paid probably in the region of 100 million and whatever salary um on top of that per annum um so you wouldn't say that the nike deal whatever sponsorship deals that that um juventus got off the back of signing ronaldo kind of washed helped wash ronaldo's face as it were um on on that deal so the question then becomes okay how how do you afford that and i think the play for a club like psg and, and man city is that you get messi in messi still arguably the best player in the world certainly in the top kind of five um so therefore messi wins you more trophies you know, if you're man city you maybe win the champions league for the first time you win trebles and you win kind of you become this kind of iconic team in in world football you elevate yourself globally and then that messy wage that you paid between let's say 2021 and 2025 pays for itself in the late 2020s the 2030s and so on so it's a, it's a seriously long game that that clubs, I guess, are thinking about it. But it is, you know, a very kind of finger in the air, I think. There's no way, no real way of modelling that impact. And and so I, I think it's um, it's a gamble for, for any club that's thinking about signing Messi at the moment. Omar, just uh, one final question, because we're sort of getting to a few minutes left, just in case there's other questions that um, anyone's wanting to ask, is, you know, um, I don't know whether, and again, not wanting to put you on the spot, whether... Um, you guys have done any modeling around actually trying to work out what Messi's on pitch value is so that, you know, I know we're talking about the the very small number of teams that can afford him, mm. but there's also a question, I guess, on valuation, which is a different point to usual, because if he is going to go, he's going to go on a free, um, which then only adds to the lucrative nature of then the transfer, which is, you know, transfer fee is going to convert into wages, loyalty, signing on fees and the rest and weekly wage. That will obviously only make the, the number of clubs that can can um, afford Messi even smaller, probably. But in the current climate, wh what is what is Messi worth and who can uh, and who out of those clubs really do you think has got bandwidth to be able to afford him? Yeah, so the, I guess that's where you dig into the question of kind of market value and intrinsic value of a player. Um, and I think it's fair to say Messi's market value probably, and a lot of play, a lot of top players, their market value outstrips their contingent, uh, their intrinsic value. Uh, and that's because there's a bit of a, I suppose, a winner's curse where it comes to buying players, where 
you've got a certain level of interest to play in a player, then if everyone's bidding for them, then they end up being kind of sold for more than what they're intrinsically worth. Um, you know, when we when we look at um, top players, and we've spoken about this before, I think on the show is usually they're adding in the region of kind of three to five points per season for, for a club, which which tends to be less than what people expect. But when you when you do some of the maths and you compute the gap between a top team and a bottom team in a league, they're roughly kind of 50, 55 points. So roughly five points per player. Uh, and as I said earlier, you know, these clubs are already towards reaching the last stages of, of the Champions League and, and at the top end of their league. So Messi over, uh, you know, a Raheem Sterling or a Phil Foden, it's just not going to be that big. He's, he's very, he's an unbelievable player, um, but he's just not going to add that, that amount. Um, and it's funny, I was speaking to off the pitch, um, I think last week on this, and and actually, if any, if Messi's got the value in his wages to any club, it's actually arguably a championship club because he would add probably about 10 points a season to a championship club, if not more. Uh, and they would probably get promoted as a result, which means an increase in revenue of 100, 150 million. So, so actually, you know, the, the, the most logical business case for Lionel Messi actually resides with, with a championship, I don't know, Swansea or, or, I don't know, um, Blackman Rovers or Middlesbrough, whoever, uh, which would be great to see. I, I'd, I'd certainly pay to, to see Messi turn up at, at Middlesbrough in the, the championship to take on, to take on Bristol City or whoever. Um, but yeah, that, that's, um, that's the kind of um, challenge, I suppose, for these clubs. There, there's one question, Dan, I think it's worth putting to you. We've got a question from Mo, which is on broadcast right cycles and, and renewal, but I think we'll, we'll save that for another week. But from Darren Simmons asking, is it right that some clubs will pay, uh, oh, sorry, will buy a player's image rights as part of the overall deal? Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case with, with Messi, but um, it might be one we dig into a bit more a little bit as well. No, for sure. The short answer is it is possible. Um, what usually tends to happen is they don't necessarily buy his image rights, but what happens is they will pay an additional amount so that they become the exclusive agency to um, sell that license, the player's right to be able to license himself to others. Mm -hmm. So in effect, um, that the club becomes its own commercial agency selling individual opportunities to players and then the club takes the upside of the 10 or 20 percent agency fee in brokering a deal with a brand so that's what can happen at some clubs it's not widespread just yet but it's effectively another revenue stream for the club to, to tap into if they think they've got good enough brand side relationships too gotcha. makes sense okay well we're pretty much at the at the half hour uh Hopefully that's warmed everyone up for a bit of Messi versus uh, PSG. Who, who are you backing to go through in the in the Barca PSG and the Liverpool Leipzig ties? Um, well, I'm usually totally wrong, so I'm going to go with um, Liverpool and PSG. Cool. I'll, I'll go with Leipzig and Barca then. We'll, we'll catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Super. Well, thanks so much for your time as always and look forward to chatting again next week. Cheers, Dan. See you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. 
a bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.